The devil has been getting his due attention these days, and maybe some more. Pope Francis often speaks about him and the great harm that he does. Claims have been made for the recognition of a satanic church by those who find normalcy and religious faith passé. And not long ago, a sculpted idol of the devil came to visit Detroit as if our beleaguered city hadn't yet attained its quota of trouble. The demonic and the occult, inspired by demons, remains ever popular in books and films and in degenerate music. In the church today, there are many claiming oppression by devils, and they seek relief for it by the church. No doubt at least some of this alleged trouble is genuinely from hell, though there are also some exaggerated claims being made in this regard. But the church's Christ-given power over the demonic is under tight regulation, with the effect that these extraordinary helps that is to say, those besides the ordinary ones of the sacraments, are often very hard to come by. Our gospel for the first Sunday of Lent is always that of Christ's temptation by the devil in the desert. Rather than give you a blow-by-blow commentary on each of the temptations, I'd like to speak more broadly about the demonic forces in our lives and how they're sorely affecting all of us. The first point to make is the great success the devils have in our day in bringing about a huge wave of moral corruption and a falling away from the true faith. This is hardly a matter of dispute. We all live amid so many forms of oppressing evils as to make life an arduous contest at times. And it ought to be abundantly clear that the one true orthodox faith, that of the Catholic Church, is in alarmingly great decline, at least in the Western world. These two factors mean that children growing up at this time will have formidable obstacles to attain eternal life. And from the purely human evidence of these things, it would seem that many, perhaps most, will be lost. We of adult age must admit that it's profoundly difficult to keep our holy faith intact, let alone to grow in holiness, and to wrench ourselves free from the engulfing quagmire of the world. Another point to be made is the subtlety of the devil. The scripture uses the words cunning and deceiving in speaking about him. The sly and most often hidden manner of his scheming may seem to be an unnecessary point to make when his outward successes have been so obvious. But this is the point. 
what may easily elude the unwary are the many ways that his temptations seduce the mind and control the lives of so many people. Saints and theologians tell us, who have had special insight into the workings of evil spirits, that the demons adjust their tactics according to their victims. What will ensnare a foolhardy teenager will not do for a pious mother of a family. An overly confident, highly schooled college student who's reading classroom lectures and low standards of his peers would be expected to get different treatment from an uneducated person who has been spared the pitfalls of so-called higher education. With all the varieties of difference that exist in people, the devils whose capacity for comprehending and sizing up individual persons is at a very high level know well how to ply their trade. A third point to make is the motive for demonic activity. What's his point? What's his gain? Regarding the last, his gain would be to deprive God, the people he created, for everlasting life of heaven. Being represented here is the rebellion of creation against the Creator, made manifest in a cosmic drama in which God's purposes are confronted by opposition. For the devils, to win our souls would seem small game. Until we consider the value of human beings, who alone were made in the image and likeness of God. And so it is this stamp of God on our human nature which the demons detest and which consequently it is their determined project to obliterate. And in this connection, let me say what a hideous victory it is for the devil that contraception and abortion are so pervasive. The image of God is being impeded from propagation by a willfully sterile generation. God, who himself is life, made only some of his creatures to have life, that is to say, made them animate. And among these, he distinctively fashioned man to have the imprint of himself on their nature. The devils, ever hateful of God because of their envy of his goodness, strive mightily to efface mankind from God's earth and thus impose population limits to the aggregate of saints in God's heaven. Point number four concerns the church in our time. It was Christ our Lord and God who promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. This means 
that the Catholic Church, the only one he founded, will never fail to stand against all manner of demonic attacks. But there was no guarantee here that the church would be composed only of holy people or that her clergy, who have authority that Christ gave the apostles and their successors, would only be holy men and prudent leaders. But it does mean that no force can destroy God's work. Even if these forces may succeed in doing considerable harm, My reason for mentioning this last point is that nearly everybody can find some reason to fault Christ's church. For some, she is too flawed by sinful people or corrupt clergy. For others, she's too powerful, too wealthy, or too restrictive, too demanding of moral standards especially in the area of sexual purity. For yet others, the church has veered far from her once glorious past and is now in substantial ruin. Yet others will find her archaic, not in step with contemporary thinking and ways of life. What's behind this? What's fueling prompting, influencing, provoking, prodding, inspiring, these constant attacks on the church are the invisible intellectual forces of demons. And yet, Christ's church stands, however much wounded by these attacks. The only reason possible for the survival and the perdurance of the church is the sustaining presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Christ who promised that he would remain with his church until the end of time. This trouble in the church of our day must not then be an obstacle for you to lose your peace of soul. Our Lord said, It is impossible that scandals should not come. They are inevitable. But then he added, Woe to him by whom they come. If you expect the church to be a perfect society, you will be disappointed and you will never accept it. This is not to say that the church is not essentially holy. Indeed, she is the holy bride of Christ, in herself spotless and without wrinkle, as St. Paul says. The church must have many holy men and women in it, and thank God this is the truth. But when we remember that all men are flawed by original sin and thus victims to weaknesses, and when we remember that demons who envy our status as God's children, try in every way to deter us from our loyalty to Christ and his church and to our salvation, then we have to be humbly resigned. 
resigned not to inevitable evils, but resigned to the merciful ways of Christ, who established his church as the one and only means of attaining salvation for sinful humanity. And so we need to remain at peace as we live in days amidst sometimes a great disturbing environment. God will call us to the judgment, not for the church. God will call us individually on how we lived his teachings and how we availed ourselves of the graces that are attainable only from the church. And my final point about the demonic concerns Our Lady. She has a special place in this drama of good and evil. And I fear that too many people are unmindful of the unique and indispensable place that she has in conquering the demons. By her consent alone, we have Jesus, true God and true man, as the Redeemer who vanquished the powers of hell. At various places in the gospel, our Lord calls her woman, that mysterious title, which some people have mistakenly thought to be an address of rebuke. Mary, however, is the woman that God promised immediately following the commission of original sin. Her offspring, the offspring of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent who brought upon us our ruin. And she's also the woman of the book of Revelation, the one who pursued the dragon, again, a symbol of the devil. Mary is called there the mother of all who keep faith in Jesus. In some unknown way, she, in her littleness, will destroy the vaunted power of the demons. We ought not only to await this time of hers, but hasten to bring it about by our prayers to her and our filial devotions to her. And so I want to say, in closing, Everybody has a fight on their hands, even though they would perhaps not rather admit it. St. Paul said this, we're waging a war against the powers of darkness, and for this reason we need the armaments of war. Holy Church gives you those armaments to fight and to win. But as St. Paul says, you must put them on. You must take them on. Use effectively the weapons the church offers you to combat evil and to live as God's devout people. So keep to your Lent. Keep with Jesus in combat, but with serenity, with the surety that a good outcome is inevitable if only you persevere.